Bible tells us that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love for us. Well, we've been in this series that we're calling the weapons of our warfare. And to this point, we have talked about the power of truth. We've talked about the power of praying in the spirit. And then a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about the power of unity. And every one of those things fall into this passage of scripture, this category that Paul refers to as the weapons of our warfare here in 2 Corinthians 10, verses three through five. He said, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Guns and knives and bombs and tanks, those kinds of weapons. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Hatred and jealousy and anger and bitterness and strife. Those are not the weapons that we fight with, but the weapons that we fight with are contrary to those. They have divine power. And the reason why they have divine power is because they are divine weapons. They're heavenly weapons. They're weapons that God gives to followers of Christ and they have such power that they can demolish strongholds. Those lies that we believe are truth and we're living like those lies are truth. That's a stronghold. And some of you have believed this morning that God doesn't love you. But I believe that stronghold is going to come down today in the mighty name of Jesus because today we're going to talk about the power of love. Look at your neighbor and say, the power of love. Now look back at him and say, there is power in love. Listen to what John says in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He who knows not, or he who loves not, knows not God. Now look at this, for God is love. Now I believe in that passage of scripture, Paul does three things. One is he talks to us about the power of love, that God is love. And I'm gonna help you understand today what God's love looks like. But not only does this scripture show us the power of love because it is the love of God, but it tells us two things about how love becomes a weapon in the arsenal of believers. And first of all, he says that love becomes a weapon when we receive the love of God. 
I'm going to tell you something. The devil hates it when somebody finally understands and receives, even though they feel undeserving, and even though they feel unworthy, when somebody receives the love of God, they they become trouble for the enemy. And we're going to find out why here in just a few minutes. But not only does weapon, or not only does love become a weapon when we receive the love of God, but love becomes a weapon when we demonstrate the love of God. You do understand that love is not passive. That love is an, a verb. Love is an action word. Now, I know sometimes it's really hard for us to comprehend the word love as it refers to God because, as I've shared with you before, in our English language, we pretty much have one word to describe all different dimensions of love. But that's not the case in the Greek language. In the Greek language, there are several different words that describe several different dimensions of love. And I need to give you a little bit of an understanding and for some of you a refreshing and a reminder because we've talked about this before so that we can be clear about the kind of love that we're talking about when we talk about the fact that God is love. Because like I said, in our English language, we can say I love pizza and I love God and basically mean or think we're meaning the same thing. But we're not. There's a completely different meaning that when we say, I love pizza, than when we say, I love God. So let's look at some of these Greek words. The first Greek word we're going to look at is this word epithumia. And here's what that word means. It means a desire, a craving, a longing. Maybe that's what you mean when you say, I love pizza. Especially right now when you're getting close to lunchtime. And you're desiring, you're craving, you're longing for something to nourish your belly. But, but, but it's not just that. It's also a desire for what is forbidden. Lust, passion. It, it's the word that is used here in Mark chapter 4 verse 19 in the parable of the sower. Where Jesus said that the cares of this world, talking about seed that fell among thorns, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires, you could say the love for other things entering in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And so that's the word he uses there as the word epithumia, the word desire. We desire other things, but things that are not good for us, things that choke out the truth, the life of God in our lives. But not only is there the word epithumia in the Greek, there is also the word eros. And you know where this word goes. It's where we get the word erotic from. It is a word that means sexual desire. The physical, sensual love, and listen to me kids, this is a love that is to be shared between a husband and a wife. Sexual desire, the physical, sensual love between a husband and a wife. Notice another word from the Greek dictionary about love is the word philia, which means close friendship or brotherly love. That's where the city Philadelphia got their name from. They're the city of brotherly love. That's why they call themselves Philadelphia. 
This, this is a, a, a scripture in Romans chapter 12, verse 10 that uses the word philia. When it says to be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. That's why a lot of times in church you hear us refer to each other as brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. We have an affection for one another, a brotherly, a sisterly love for one another. And then there's another word from the Greek language that is translated love in Scripture, and that's the word storge, which is a family love. It's that bond among mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers. And Paul uses that Greek word here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, when he said, In the last days men are going to be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. He's using the word storage there. He's talking about family love. That in the last of the last days, those difficult times prior to when Jesus comes back, he said that there is going to be a massive breakdown among love in the family. Husbands turning against wives, wives against husbands, parents against their children, children against their parents. As a matter of fact, he goes on and talks here about how that as a result, children would be disobedient to their parents. Now, all of those words that I just shared with you have one thing in common. Not only are they all at some, in some way, shape, form, or fashion translated love in Scripture, but they are all feeling-based, emotion-based love. In other words, they are motivated by how you feel. They are motivated by your emotions. You have to feel something in order to love like we just talked about from these four words. But the word that we use when we talk about the fact that God is love is this word agape. And you've heard about it many times. But agape is God's kind of love. And the unique thing about agape love it is, is that it is the only non-emotion-based love that is used in the Greek language. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have emotion attached to it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have feeling attached to it. It just doesn't have to have emotion. It doesn't have to have feeling. And the reason why is because agape love is love by choice, it's love by an act of the will. I don't have to feel like loving you if I have the love of God on the inside of me. I can choose to love you regardless. It is an act of my will that I choose. I have decided that I'm going to love you come hell or high water. Because also this word means unconditional love. And this is a real tough word for us to accept. It's a real tough word for us to live out because people say, can I really love the way that God loves? Do I not have to be moved by my feeling? Do I not have to be moved by my emotion? Can I really choose to love other people whether I feel like loving them or not? Can I love people un? conditionally. That's tough, isn't it? Because it's not a love that says, I will love you if. It's not a love that says, I will love you, but. 
It is a love that says, I will love you, period. Come hell or high water, in sickness and in health, richer or poorer, till death do us part. It is an unconditional love. And as it relates to God, it is a perfect love. Do you know that God cannot love us any better than he has loved us? Because if God could improve on his love toward us, then his love would not have been perfect. Perfect means you ain't got nowhere to go from there. And when we talk about the perfect love of God, and you've heard me say this before, but I need to remind you, it just simply means that God will never love you any more than he loves you right now. Neither will God ever love you any less than he loves you right now. And that is liberating. That's the reason why the enemy does not want you to understand and receive the love of God because he knows then that you understand that God's love for you is not conditionally based on your performance, what you did or what you did did not do God loves you period somebody ought to be thankful for that this morning now why is it important that we understand in 1st John 4 7 and 8 that John is saying beloved let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Why is it important that we understand that he's talking about an agape kind of love? I'm gonna tell you why. Because there's no better way for us to represent God in this world as his representatives than to show the God kind of love to others. I want to take you back to Genesis here, and you're going to have to stay with me a couple of minutes. And you don't want to leave because at the end of my message today, you're going to hear a powerful testimony as it relates to the love of God. But in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God says, let us make man in our image. Everybody say image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now you need to understand that during this time, in this culture... The image concept was huge. Matter of fact, the image concept is huge all through the Bible. But especially in this culture, the image concept was huge because the culture during this time was not a monotheistic culture. That is, they didn't just worship one God, they were polytheistic, they worshiped many gods. And they had a carved out image, whether it be of stone or of wood, of every God that they worshiped. And here's what they believed. They believed that whatever you do to the image, you do to the God. So if you worship the image, you're worshiping the God. If you sacrifice to the image, you're sacrificing to the God. If you're bringing an offering to the image, it's as if you're bringing an offering to God. Because whatever you do to the image, and remember that it's important, because it's not totally wrong. They had corrupted it a bit, but it was not totally wrong. And so that's why God here in Genesis talks so much about image. And, and then when we go to Exodus, when God is giving through Moses the Ten Commandments to his people, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. 
And he said that you shall not make for yourself a carved image because they were polytheistic. They're coming out of polytheism into monotheism from many gods to serving just one God. And so God said, do not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. Now why would God tell them not to make images of their gods or try to make an image of what the God of heaven looked like because that's exactly what they would have tried to do. Even coming out of polytheism into monotheism, they still wanted some kind of a physical representation of what God looked like. And God says to them, you don't need to make any kind of a carved image because I have already created my image. When I created Adam and Eve, I created them in my image and I created them in my likeness. And if you could have seen Adam and Eve after they were created by God before they sinned, they were the spitting image of their father. They looked just like their father, God. But then we know that because of sin, that image of God in them was shattered. But God had a plan to restore his image to man. And you remember what we said in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, notice, it says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So what was God doing through Christ? God himself was coming to this earth in the form of, the man, in the form of a man in order to restore his image. And so that you and I, and he restored that image through Christ. Christ was God in the flesh. You remember what John said? He said, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus became the restoration in this earth of the image of God so that when you and I come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and when you and I become followers of Jesus Christ, our mission becomes to represent, to be representatives of God in this earth. We are the image of God. That's why he said you are the light of the world and other people should be able to see your good works, but not in order to worship the image not in order to bow before the image. The image is only a reflection of who God is. The image is only a picture of who God is. Let me ask you this. What kind of God are you portraying to the world? Because we, our lives, we are the image of the invisible God. And that's why he said that you are the light of the world so let your good works shine in such a way that others see those good works and do what? And glorify your Father in heaven. Because listen, we go back to that statement I said earlier, that what you do to the image, you do to the God. And may I say that people, human beings, who are created in the image of God, what you do to the image, you do to God. And I have scripture to prove that. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 25, verse 35, said, I was hungry and you fed me. 
This is Jesus talking here. He said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord Jesus, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them, I assure you when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. You see, that is the power of love. Amen? Through the power of love, let me tell you what happens. Through the power of love, the hungry get fed. And through the power of love, the naked get clothed. And through the power of love, the sick get visited. And through the power of love, those that are incarcerated get a visit. And through the power of love, those who are homeless have somewhere to live. It's the power of love. And here's what Jesus said. He said, when you do it to my image, you do it to God. That when you are clothing and when you are feeding, and when you are giving something to drink to the thirsty and when you are visiting those that are in prison and when you minister to those who are sick he said it is as if you were doing it unto me is that good or what somebody say amen this morning so you see it's important that we understand agape love because we are the manifestation of God's love in this world. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Do you know what the problem in the Corinthian church was? It's the same problem that we have in the church today. They measured spiritual maturity by spiritual gifts. And you can't do that. You don't measure spiritual maturity by spiritual gifts. Whether you can speak in tongues or prophesy or give words of knowledge or even offer yourself as a martyr to be burned at the stake. You don't measure spiritual maturity by spiritual gifts. You measure spiritual maturity by love. By love. Because you can do all of those other things, but if you don't have God kind of love motivating you, if it's not a God they love, then it's empty. It profits you nothing. You get nothing out of it. And then he goes on and he gives some descriptors of love, but I want you to look at these last four in, in chapter 15, verse 7. Here's what he says about love, and this is where we really see how powerful love is as a weapon. He said that love bears all things, believes all things. Now, you've got to understand now that he is using hyperbole here. He's exaggerating for effect. And he says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
Look at that first one. He said that love bears all things. I want you to write this down. He said that love bears, B-E-A-R-S, not bears, B-A-R-E-S. Because there's a difference. When you look at this word that love bears all things, I know sometimes we think it means to help to carry the burdens of those that are hurting, those who are overwhelmed, and, and it does mean that, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus even wanted to bear the consequences of our sins because in Isaiah 53 it said that he bore our sins and he carried our sorrows. And that's what love does. But a better translation of this word comes from the New International Version of the Bible. And this word means to protect. Love protects. Love, listen to me, we need to hear this this morning. Love not only protects, love covers. Love is not in it to expose and to ridicule and to make an object of. That's exactly why. God got so upset with one of Noah's sons is because when Noah was caught in sin, he exposed, one of the sons exposed him, but the other two sons came and covered him rather than expose him. And can I tell you, God has not called us. No, God has not called us to cover sin, but he has called us to cover the sinner. Do you hear me? How much better off would the body of Christ be if we would have protected if we would have covered rather than exposing you see that's just what our depraved nature wants to do our, our for some reason our depraved nature gets pleasure out of exposing that that's why as little kids you know little girls tattle on their brothers or little boys tattle on their sisters it's because of that depraved nature that we want to we want to expose we want everybody to know. Let me tell you something else that love doesn't do. Love doesn't gossip and love doesn't listen to gossip. No. Love covers. Love protects. Look at what the scripture says in Proverbs 10, 12. That hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Oh, isn't it amazing how hard we work to cover those we really love. Because it, it could have been, it could be your little child that did something and you defend them. Well, they just didn't know what they were doing. They, they just didn't know what they were saying. But if it's somebody you don't like, yeah. Listen, I'm telling you this morning, you go back and study the Ark of the Covenant of God. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was a lid. And do you know what that lid was called? It was called the mercy seat. And do you know what was applied to the lid of that Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament? It was the blood of a lamb without spot and without blemish. And that blood on that lid signified that the sins of the people had been covered. That the sins of the people had been dealt with. That's what Jesus did when he went to the cross and shed his blood. Blood that was so powerful that it would cover your sins and it would cover my sins. Aren't you glad this morning that there are some people who love you enough 
that if they do discover that you are falling or if they do discover that you are in sin, that they don't seek to expose you. Yes, sin has to be confronted. Yes, sin has to be dealt with. Yes, people who fall into sin have to be taught and they have to be corrected and they have to be disciplined. Yes, that is all a part of it, but we do everything that we can do to protect. Can you imagine how much better off the body of Christ would be today instead of trying to expose everybody? That's that depraved nature. That's why, that's why you have the National Enquirer. That's why you have magazines and newspapers and websites wanting to expose people because our depraved nature wants to, dip. we just want to bring it to reality. We want to expose it, but that's not what love does. Love covers, love covers, love protects the image of God. But not only does it bear all things, love believes all things. Pastor, you mean I'm supposed to believe whatever they tell me? That's not what this is saying. But it believes that those who have fallen from grace can be restored. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians 6.1. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may be tempted. Tempted to do what? Gossip? About their sin? Tempted to do what? Expose their sin? Tempted to do what? To revel in their sin? You got to be careful. But here's what he says. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore. You see, love believes the best, not the worst about people. Because somebody could fall have a failure, and you got believers saying, well, boy, they done. God can't ever do anything with them again. God can't ever work through them again. Believe in the worst. That's what happened with Job. His friends believed the worst about him. They came to him and said, Job, we know why you're having such issues. We know why you're having such problems. It's because there's sin in your life, Job. They believed the worst about him. The Pharisees always believed the worst, even about Jesus. Believed the worst about him. But you understand that we as believers who show the love of God, we don't believe the worst. We believe the best. We believe that even the most vile, wretched sinner can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we believe that the one who maybe has fallen the farthest from grace like a David who had an affair with Bathsheba, but God didn't give up. God still believed in the best about David. God still believed that David had a heart after God. I'm telling you, love believes that God can... Turn somebody's life around. Amen. No matter who that somebody is. Oh, I could preach all day on this. Here's a third thing, and that is that love hopes all things. Love never believes failure is final. God never believed that the failures of the nation of Israel was final. He never gave up. He continued to have hope. Jesus never gave up in spite of Peter's failures. He never gave up on Peter. He never lost hope. And some of you here this morning, it's the reason why you haven't lost hope with your marriage. It's the reason why you haven't lost hope with your unsaved children. Because you continue to hope that they're going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You continue to hope that they're going to give their lives to Jesus. 
You continue to believe and you continue to hope that your spouse who is an unbeliever is gonna come to accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Let me tell you about this rope called hope's love. It has no end. So you never get to the end of your rope when you love the way that God loves. You never stop hoping. You never stop believing. And then the last thing that he says is this. He says that love endures all things. Love can take a punch and stand strong. Love can face all kind of opposition and still be standing when the storm has passed. Love endures, and some of you know that here this morning because some of you have had to endure some things with some people in your life. Some of you have had to endure some things with your children, and some of you have had to endure some things with your spouse. But that's what the God kind of love is able to do. Don't you know that God is a God who has endured? That God is a patient God, that God is a long-suffering God. It's the reason why every one of us are here this morning. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He is a patient, patient God. And love hangs in there. Love never quits. Love can endure whatever is thrown at it. And when you think about that kind of love, that's a mighty weapon in the arsenal of a believer. I'm going to ask Miranda to come up here with me. I was at Celebrate Recovery this past Tuesday night. And I had the opportunity to hear this young lady's testimony. Now, just before her was a gentleman who got up and testified about what Celebrate Recovery. They were cel celebrating a one-year anniversary, their one-year anniversary of Celebrate Recovery. And just before she spoke, a gentleman got up and he said, if I were to, if I were to describe what Celebrate Recovery is like to me, I would sum it up with these two words, true love. He said, because when I go, to in, go into a church, he said, I can tell when I go into a church, most churches, people are looking at me, they're judging me, they're forming an opinion of me, they're condemning me, but he said, I can come in to celebrate recovery and it's, they love me. They don't accept my sin, but they accept and they love on me to help me become the person that God would have me to become. But when I heard Miranda's testimony, all I kept hearing was that there was especially one particular individual who never gave up who believed the best, who endured. And because of that, I don't believe Miranda's life will ever be the same. Would you welcome Miranda this morning? Y'all, I don't have to, <laughs> forgive me if I get a little shaky, guys. <laughs> Um, I didn't prepare any of this. I, I kind of added a little thing in this morning, but I'm just going to read what I wrote and maybe through it you'll hear him like I did.
I was lucky and really in need of a job when I got a call at the perfect time. I worked there until August 9th. I was blessed to have a wonderful boss who allowed me to take some time to myself. August 9th was the last day at Sweet Mercy Salon for me. The 10th and 11th, I didn't write anything. On the 12th, I'd started to shut down, shut everybody out, and I couldn't go to work. So I made some excuse and texted my boss. And she just, she wasn't mad or angry, you know, she was just like, you know, you're not alone and I'm here for you, but take the time that you need to understand. She invited me to uh, celebrate recovery on Tuesday night. It was the 13th. I had already given up and decided that I was done. So all I wrote on that day was no. On the 14th, I began to make my plans. Uh, I have a uh, small little photography business just, you know, that I do. Well, the uh, slogan for that is simplicity. I didn't really, at the time when I chose that, know what that really meant or why I picked it. And so I needed to change my brand. So when it ended, that somebody from my family or one of my friends could hopefully use it and pick it up. So I sat down at the computer on the 14th and I looked up how to explain simplicity. And the first thing that popped up was, oh, holy simplicity. It is by John Huss. I'll just let y'all, if y'all want to read that, I'm not gonna give y'all my entire, <laughs> but I texted Jody and I said, it's probably this crazy coincidence, but I had this little, this little spark, but you know, then again, I'd already given up. No, not me, you know, I, it's, I'm done. On the 15th, it was the last day I was able to drive my little girl to school because I had gotten so sick. I couldn't even go pick her up that day, so I called somebody to pick her up for me. That morning on the way home, I heard something on the radio and it caused me to, you know, pay attention a little bit. And there was some guy, and I can't remember his name, and I can't remember the book, but he was just saying, you know, what his favorite excerpt out of it, that he would tell somebody on why they should, you know, buy the book. He said there was a section in it, 
And he said, God will not spare present pain if it means eternal profit. And I heard this, and that didn't make any sense to me at the time, but I almost felt like I, it was for me to hear. But I got home, and I looked it up, and I read it. But I'm, I'm, I was already past that. I'd already given up, and I'm not coming back from it. <laughs> the 17th and 18th, I didn't write anything. Nor the 19th, nor the 20th. I started to ignore most of Jody's messages at this point. On the 23rd, I get a call back from my doctor. I made a promise a few days before when I'd went to that appointment. When they told me that you're basically dying and we don't know why and we don't know how to help you. I'd made a plan because I'm a planner. <laughs> so on the 23rd, when I got the call from the doctor, I had to call Jody to begin working on my checking off my list. So I told her I would go with her on Tuesday. The 24th and the 25th went by. And I can't even tell you the amount of pain. On the 26th, which was on a Monday, I called my mother, whom I haven't talked to in years and years, but we've kind of been speaking just a little here and there. I let her know that it was okay. I let her wash my hair because I couldn't remember the last time I've had a bath or my hair washed. It was so matted. When she left, my dad came. I sat down with him and I instructed him on what to do after my death and how I would like it to be planned and sake for my daughter and my husband. The next day was Tuesday, the 27th. At 4.30, I was dressed in the best that I could. Because <laughs> if it was gonna be the last thing that I did, I was at least gonna owe, owe it to her to do that. I lost almost 40 pounds in three weeks and nothing that I had fit. And I texted her and I said, you know, just, I'm gonna be okay. Like, I trust you. She came and picked me up. Even on the way to celebrate recovery that night. She didn't lecture me. 
she didn't try to pressure me. The music played. And I just kind of listened and looked out the window, doubled over in pain, trying to halfway follow through with the last thing on my list, but also just telling myself, you just get through it, Miranda, because when you get home, it's, it's going to be fine. I could barely walk in this place that day. People spoke to me. If y'all are one of them, I'm sorry. <laughs> the pain that takes over your body, it paralyzes you. <laughs> and there's, there is no hope or love. And what is of it, you don't want it anymore at that point. Everybody ate. I had a, a meal that I was able to hold down in probably three or four weeks. I hadn't had a bite of food, I don't think, in three or four or five nights. Jody, she had to go up to the front to sing, so she said she was going to help me find a seat in the back. She said, just try, you know. When that music started, and I said, well, it can't hurt. <laughs> and I let, I let it wash over me. And then I almost shut it out. And Jody came off that stage around to me, and she just stood there beside me where I could feel her. A part of me did die that night, guys. But thank you and praise that I was reborn. I've got notes and notes and notes since then. <laughs> but after it was all trying to process, I went to Taco Bell and had the best <laughs> double decker supreme <laughs> crunch wrap in, in, in the experience, guys. <laughs> When I got home that night, though, in all seriousness, it was like, almost when I walked in the house, it's, it wanted to come back, you know? I wasn't where I felt 
I was, you know, just 10 minutes before, I, I lost that, that feeling. And I've, I have a stock full of Bibles. I just pulled out one. And one of the first things I came across and I texted Jody about that night was Luke 8:48, And he said unto her, daughter, be of good comfort <laughs> because thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. Just remain standing, if you would, please. And Jody, would you come here with me? And, and stay right here with me, Miranda, if you would. And this is not by any means to lift up a person above God. That's not what I'm doing here, to just spotlight a person. But Jody... What I talked to you about today, Jody was a reflection, a manifestation of agape love that she never, <laughs> she never stopped believing, she never stopped hoping, she never stopped enduring, and that love one because that kind of love wins amen you see Miranda came in to celebrate recovery her issue was not drugs or alcohol nothing like that it was oppression depression that had her to a point that she was going to die or either going to take her own life but oh, the power of the love of God. <laughs> God never gave up. Jody never gave up. And that's what he needs from you. You need to understand God will never give up on you. And he doesn't want you to ever give up on those who have been created in his image oh my goodness oh my goodness let me tell you what I feel like I need to do right now I feel like I just need to take a moment and have you in that space that you're in turn around to about eight or ten people and I want you to just look them square in the eye listen we're brothers and sisters in the Lord I feel like this is how the Holy Spirit wants to minister today I want you to look at them and I want you to tell them I love you we don't hear that enough. Come on, turn around. I, I want you to just tell one another how much you love each other. I don't care if you know them or if you don't know them. Love is such a powerful weapon. It is such a powerful weapon. <laughs> 
Tell them I don't love you if, and I don't love you but, but I love you. Unconditionally, I love you. Unconditionally, I love you. I don't love you because I feel like loving you. I love you because I choose to love you. I've made a decision to love you. Come hell or high water, no matter what happens, I'm gonna love you through thick, through thin, through good, through the bad. I'm gonna love you and I'm there for you. And I believe somebody just needed what happened because maybe somebody walked into this room here today feeling like God didn't love them and that no one loved them. But I want to tell you, if there's one thing I would love for this church on this hill to be known for, I would love for us to be known for the love of God. The love of God. The love of God. Amen. So, Father, we thank you this morning for your love. Your love never fails. Your love endures forever. Your love believes the best about us. Your love hopes. Your love endures. And we thank you today, God, that you have loved us perfectly and you have loved us unconditionally. We thank you that our failures are not final with you. We thank you, God, that you cover our sins. You don't expose. You cover. You give us an opportunity to repent. You give us an opportunity to be redeemed. And we're grateful for that. We're thankful for that. We're thankful that you don't give up on us but that your love gets stronger, your love gets greater for us. And we thank you for that love, Father God. And we thank you that you have given us the ability to love others the way that you love us. And Lord, that's the only way that we can love others. The way you love us is if we have a relationship with you. The only way we can demonstrate that love is if we have experienced and received that love. So Father, I pray over every person in this room here today that if they've not yet received your love, if they've not yet entered into a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that right now in this moment, they'll understand that you love them and that they can ask you to forgive them and you'll forgive them and give them new life in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, one more time, let's thank God. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience it for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you. Hey everyone, wanna invite you out weekly at Tuesday night for our Celebrate Recovery that meets right here in our fellowship hall. Now a lot of you may be thinking, well, who is Celebrate Recovery for? Well, it's all for people who have hurts, habits, or hangups. And so I believe that means a lot of y'all. The meal starts at 5.30 p.m. and the service begins at 6.30 p.m. We wanna see you there.